0: Get ready, Avalanche territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome on into the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Evans, with a very special guest this, uh, this uh, week the one and only Sandy Clough, not retired harshly retired, still hear him here on the fan, and I had to get you in here to talk about the Avs as as well as some other things.
0: Good to see you. Great to see you. Semi-retirement Mike. life looks good on you. Semi-retirement life looks good. And uh, I've been able to do a lot of things, especially during the fall months that I was never able to do before. We're on red alert in the fall and have been for many years due to uh, the fall being the football season. And uh, none of us take much, if any, time off. And I've been able to experience things and make trips that uh, are bucket list things that I was never able to do before. Uh, We were talking before we began here uh, about a trip I made almost exactly one month ago to Birmingham, Alabama for the Alabama-Texas A&M game in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Alabama was undefeated at the time. We know they've lost two games Uh, since, but it was a wonderful experience and something that if I were working, I'd never be able to do. So, bucket list items. I assume that did not include a trip to Finland recently Uh, to see the Avalanche No, no, I I didn't make it all the way to Finland. I hear the boys had a wonderful time there and they got two wins, but uh, had an experience that uh, many of them seemed to enjoy and obviously the guys from Finland were very proud to show off. Uh, their hometown and their home country. Don't you love it?
1: I-, I love it just as a sports fan. When you see an athlete or a team clearly embrace the moment and rise to the moment. And I thought that first game in Finland, Miko Rantanen goes back to Finland, national hero, and in that setting, he scores a hat trick. Absolutely. I-, I just love the idea of somebody who recognizes the moment and
0: responds to the moment. He stepped up, and it was fantastic to see on his final goal, Nathan McKinnon pass up a goal-scoring opportunity to give it to Randon and let him get the hat trick and have the hats. Uh, I guess they do that in Finland, too. The hats uh, come onto the ice, and uh, it was just a – fantastic moment, and uh, we know that uh, in particular, Renton and, and Lekkanen uh, have uh, been very close friends for years and uh, both played well, and uh, they uh, brought a third goaltender from Finland yep. on the trip, which I thought was a very classy gesture. And uh, the NHL, we talk about the NFL putting a team perhaps over there within the next... 10 years in Europe, um, I think the NHL might have something similar uh, in mind. And uh, the hockey culture over there is fantastic. Tremendous.
1: Tremendous. So your, your early impressions of, of the avalanche as they've played the first, uh, you know, 10 or so games, dozen games of the season, the way I've looked at it is this is a team understandably coming off a of Stanley cup, a very short off season that you wonder where the motivation is going to be at the start of the season. And and my feeling is, based on what I've seen, this is a team that's probably going to play up to the competition or up to the moment and then maybe play down to the competition. And whether it was that game against the Rangers that had a playoff vibe to it that Absolutely. they clearly responded to, or these games in Finland that they responded to, but yet also... Offset by some games where you're like, oh, they didn't look like there was a whole lot of. They didn't shove for the uh, hunger level, right? Jersey, so is that something? Game.
0: Is that something that I think we should probably expect for you know the next couple of I months? I think or so. so. And uh, you can mention the injuries, not in the context of, uh, gee, if they had uh, Landeskog or Nashushkin hadn't missed a bunch of games and he'll be out for another month or so, uh, they'd be you know, eight two and one instead of six, four and one. Not, none of that. But I think the idea is to be healthy by playoff time. And listen, even having played only eleven games and only St. Louis, and they're they're really struggling. They've lost, I think, eight games in a row. Every team in the league's played more games. So they have games in hand on on everybody. And they're in third place behind Winnipeg and Dallas, but only four points behind Dallas. And only uh four points by Winnipeg for first place, <laughs> and Winnipeg's played twelve games, and Dallas has played thirteen games, so by default they're going to finish first. This division is not as strong as it was a few years ago, top to bottom, and apart from Las Vegas in the other division out west, nobody's really running away to a terrific start and so if they're healthy by playoff time, they'll be fine. I think the guy to watch so far has been Gorgiev. Uh, He's been a little bit up and down, but the overall numbers represent a clear upgrade over what they had last year with Darcy Kemper. So I I think that's an encouraging sign. And, uh, you know, who would have thought through 11 games that you'd have McKinnon and McCarr sitting on four goals between them? I mean, they, and McKinnon and McCarr both have a lot of points, a lot of assists, but only four goals between the two of them in eleven games. And you know, listen, the Islander game—they uh, uh, blew a three-goal lead. Uh, they were up three nothing. They actually blew a three-goal lead in the first game in Finland too. They came back to win six to three. They were up three nothing. There have been those moments where uh, the collective mind has wandered, no doubt.
1: So we know. Assuming good health, and with everything going on right now, it's a reminder that that health plays a huge factor. Injuries play a huge factor if you're trying to repeat. And
0: luck plays a huge factor. And if if you're healthy at the right times in the playoffs, you can win a Stanley Cup, but you've got to have that good fortune. So,
1: assuming good health, we know
0: this team's going to be there. We know this team.
1: Come playoff time, we're ready to roll with these guys. So, what are the storylines right now? So, you're an Avalanche fan, and you're looking at the next month what, what are the storylines that, that surround this team? Where's the, um, where's the meat you know when it comes to what am I looking at? What should I be looking at? What should I be following? What are some of the, the potential uh, issues, red flags that uh, could arise here over the next month or two?
0: I think you need to see continuing development improvement from the second, third, and fourth lines. Uh, New Hook came alive a bit over in Finland, uh, but uh, Nashushkin's out now for
1: presumably
0: the next month. Yeah, So I think Alex Newhook is a guy you watch because there are options out there for them, even right now looking ahead to the trade deadline in a few months. Newhook's going to have to play, or they could go after a Bo Horvat, or a Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be... That got floated a by our friend Adrian Dater, deal. and I was yeah. like, "Ooh, that'd well, be interesting." The Blues are three and eight, and he's something like minus a zillion, and you know carries with him a fairly hefty contract. And if St. Louis decides to rebuild, Tarasenko and O'Reilly are probably going to get traded. You got Jonathan Taves, who has uh, at least at the beginning of the year found the fountain of youth, and uh, with Kane out of the lineup. Uh, we'll we'll see if Taves can sustain his production. But you got Sean Monaghan in Montreal. Uh, now, they're off to a decent start. But there are options yeah. for them at the trade deadline. And they may need to bring a third team in. But it is certainly conceivable that they could make moves. And, uh, you know, Joe Sackick was an executive who traded Ryan O'Reilly at one time. But that was more than seven years ago. And I imagine... Uh, the fans and Joe Sackick would not hold a grudge if they could get O'Reilly back. See, I'm with you. I think the the really only
1: big storyline to watch is we know Joe Sakic and Chris McFarlane are going to make moves. That's just, yes. Joe came from the Pierre Lacroix school and that was always Pierre Lacroix's MO was that I don't care how good my team is, you can always add more at the trade deadline. So now the question is, there will be a trade there will be trades but to watch these next couple of months to get a sense of how much wheeling and dealing how many trades might they be looking for and that's to watch these players that are here right now and uh, and see whether or not they're going to be part of the the playoff mix or or whether or not some of those names you
0: mentioned are the ones that we should be watching for. and I think on defense uh, you're concerned about injuries with uh, Byram and Gerard out, but they seem to be day to day, week to week type of injuries. Uh, I'm a little surprised that they haven't been better defensively so far. Uh, Gorgi has a two point six one goals against, but a nine twenty five save percentage, which means he's seen a lot of rubber. Yeah, and they've been giving up forty plus shots here and there, and that's very much unlike them. Remember last year, they were giving up what twenty five shots a game. So seeing them giving up uh, 35, 40, or even more is a little bit concerning, even before those guys got hurt. And so I, I I don't know that they have the depth that they had last year, and maybe they never will again. Remember, Sackick forecast two years ago that the team two years ago was deeper than any team would be in the future, and yet they came back last year and had a lot of depth. I don't think the players they lost have uh, necessarily been uh, lighting it up. Uh, I think their roster construction is still top-notch, but uh, yes, there are a few guys to watch. Uh, Rodriguez did nothing the first few games. He's come on in a scoring sense, but uh, you know, the minus players who watch and you hope to see improvement from are Confer, Newhook, Gerard when he gets back into the lineup, and maybe Rodriguez. But again, that's that's the second line yep. that's really struggled and I think struggled mostly because they haven't been able to plug Newhook and Confer in there and get much, if any, production.
1: So I wanted to have you in. Uh, to be able to to talk hockey with you because I always sure. enjoy talking hockey with you, the original Doctor Zero. But one of the reasons I wanted you uh, to come on in this week for the Mile High Hockey Podcast was to talk about Peter McNabb yeah. and and the passing of Peter McNabb and just just I'll just throw it out there just what what did this guy mean to you as a hockey fan here in Denver and as somebody who
0: followed and covered the Avs. I remember watching on a number of occasions Peter McNabb play. Uh, not a DU, obviously. That was a little before my time here in Denver. But with the Bruins. Yep. Uh, saw him play live. Saw him play at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. Uh, a bunch. And uh, to me, uh, without knowing him back then, uh, he seemed like uh, – Again, when college players excelling in the NHL was still relatively rare, he seemed like uh, an interesting character. And he was a goal scorer on the uh, Bruins teams of the mid to late 70s. Scored 227
1: goals over a six-year span. Think about
0: that. He was a 10-time 20-goal scorer in his 14-year career and played – a less belligerent brand of hockey than generally those Bruins played at the time. And I always thought he was an interesting guy because he didn't seem to quite fit in with the O'Reilly's and the Stan Jonathan's John, the Cashman's and the Wensinks, yep. uh, who, who would fight anytime, anywhere exactly. for any reason yeah. whatsoever. And Peter never fought. And as we got to know him out here, we found out he didn't fight because he wasn't very good at it. Right. <laughs> Even though he was a big guy. Yeah. And, Peter, as a storyteller or a raconteur, was second to none. And we both had the pleasure of experiencing his company. And when you mentioned Peter, I thought of our daily conversations during the 2001 Stanley Cup run. And for most of that run, Peter was not working. Uh, National television had taken over uh, the telecast, and Peter was not working. He'd come out with us virtually every day and give us insight that we couldn't have gotten anywhere else from anyone else so uh, uh, peter also had the capacity to make any individual feel as if at least at that time peter was confiding in him yeah and peter would take that person on as a best friend yeah and i think what what's impressed me most is hearing people talk about Peter without claiming they were best friends with Mm -hmm. him, but got so much out of the relationship because Peter was so giving.
1: You know, it's funny because I grew up back east, grew up in New England, and those Bruins teams were – they were so good. They were so dynamic. They were so entertaining because – they were swashbuckling, you know. They they scored a lot, they fought a lot, and they had some outsized personalities. So, being a big fan of that team, of course, I I knew Peter McNabb. and it's it's funny too because you're right, everybody fought. He was the gentle giant, you know. He was a. and Jean Rattel. He was the lover, not the we're fighter. The lady Bingo.
0: Yeah. And yeah. but but,
1: yet there he was. Crawling up into the stands at Madison Square Garden Absolutely. with and, and it was so funny over the years because so then I come out here. Right. And I start covering the avalanche and Peter McNabb is doing and I'm getting a chance to work with Peter McNabb. I'm like, I'm like, y- you were one of the guys I grew up rooting for and following. And he loved that because he loved talking about his days with the Bruins. He loved those teams. And I would ask him stories about you know the the too many men on the ice against Montreal, which he would never
0: reveal and, uh,
1: as to the identity of the guy. Yeah, was the but he would start. He'd tell man. stories about. Oh, oh yeah. man, that night we flew back and the you know, we we told the the owner of the Fours bar right yeah. over by Boston Garden, open up the doors because we're coming in hot, you know. And they came in right from the airport and opened up the taps and started. Oh man, he could tell a story, but to be able to learn about hockey from this guy. And you're right, because the thing about Peter McNabb is that Sandy, he had a passion for hockey, a passion for the Avalanche, that he loved to talk hockey. He just loved to talk hockey, and he always did it in a a very helpful way. Uh, You never felt like he was talking down to you. He was genuinely enthused. To talk about a sport he loved and if you showed an interest in it, boy, you, it was like the the, the yeah. light went off. You know, like I, I can't wait to to share what I know with you because you're you want to know about you
0: it. You have the same experience I did. Every time I'd see him in person, it would be a warm yeah. welcome, oh, big smile. Always a smile. We, on he'd space. come out of the TV booth yep. in the hallway yep. and he'd talk hockey. Yeah. yeah. And he had insight. I remember visiting with him between periods, and you did the same thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, he'd, he'd tell me half a dozen things that I hadn't noticed. Exactly. And then he'd tell me what to watch for yes. after that. And it would happen. Yes. The way he yeah. forecast. Yeah. And he talked about Don Cherry with our friend Terry Fry uh, when Terry did about a year ago. Uh, when Peter was first diagnosed with cancer. I think it was back in February. And uh, Terry did kind of a Q and a with Peter. And Peter in the interview was positive about everybody, and that was part of Peter's persona, that he saw the best in people. And he's talking about Don Cherry. And he said the thing that people didn't understand about Cherry that was underrated about him was in the first five minutes he could tell who was going and who wasn't going that night and who would get those discretionary minutes that were were always out there for the guys who were playing the best. He said Cherry could do that in the first five minutes. Peter could do that. Peter could diagnose how a game was going to go off the first five minutes. And it was uncanny Mm -hmm. the way he did it. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Genuine enthusiasm for the game and, and somebody that you, – you, you talk about the legacy you leave, and my goodness, the outpouring of tributes oh, for Peter McNabb yes. and, and the one a- – And a Hall of
0: Famer, U.S. Hockey, US Hall, hockey of Famer. Hall of Famer.
1: But the one constant in all the tributes, what a nice man. Yes. What a nice man, what a generous man, uh, somebody who was very giving of his time, who loved to talk hockey, and and had a, an undeniable enthusiasm, passion and just good-natured sharing of all of it. That uh I think everybody who's come across him and everybody who's talked about him it seems to be the the constant
0: theme that runs through all of it. And how about working with uh, the likes of Gary Thorne, and yeah. Mike Emmerich and the story he tells about when his playing career ended and uh He's in New Jersey, and they ask him what he wants to do. Uh, his father, of course, is a fabled executive, won a Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Max, yep. And Peter's nickname, of course, is Maxie. His brother David was in the NHL and front offices for more than forty years. Yep, yep. <laughs> A noted uh, hockey executive. Uh, but they ask Peter what he wants to do. He doesn't want to be in the front office. Uh, following the footsteps of his father. Uh, doesn't want to coach because he says, I, I can't get on players. You know, I mean, I'd fail miserably as a coach. Uh, and they finally told him, I guess, that they were going from about six or seven telecasts to 60. Would you have an interest in working on the telecast? I said, Yeah, sure, give it a try. And he ends up working first with Thorne and then with Emmerich uh, before even coming out here and working with some uh, uh, wonderful people. Uh, out here on the television side uh, over the years. But imagine what what a hockey life. I mean, Murray Armstrong was his college coach. Yeah. And Punch Imlock was an executive with the Buffalo Sabres who drafted yep. people. Yep. And then he goes and plays for Cherry. Yeah. And he's around Roger Nielsen and Harry Neal during his years in uh, Vancouver. And, uh, you know, plays in New Jersey when his father's the general manager. Which is uh, always an awkward situation, yeah. as we've yeah. seen uh, here in Denver in the yeah. past with uh, Pierre Lacroix and his son Eric. Boy,
1: it, it's what a, what a what a hockey life yeah. well
0: lived. You talk about the life
1: well lived, the life well lived.
0: But my goodness, and a hockey life well lived. Born in Vancouver, lived. but grew up in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. He, he was going to be a baseball player. Yeah, and he actually was a pretty good baseball player, uh, but turned to hockey and was one of, I believe, eight freshmen who came in in the early 70s at DU and was the best freshman class, perhaps to this day, that DU's ever had. Uh, And uh, Peter left after his junior year, and I think to this day, Peter McNabb is one of the 25 best American players ever to grace an ice sheet in the National Hockey League. He, he he has the numbers to prove it. Over 800 career points and fewer than a thousand games. Uh, I think 363 goals. Yep, 450 yep. assists. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. unbelievable yeah. numbers.
1: Yeah, you know he's he's kind of like a, you know, for for a generation that grew up thinking, oh, John Madden was only on TV and did a video game, and you forget was a great great coach. Sometimes you forget with a guy like John Peter McKeown. Madden
0: was a better coach than he let on. And we all know yeah. people who as commentators make themselves out to be better players than they actually were. Uh, Peter went wholly the other way. Yeah. If you listen to Peter talk about himself as a player, you'd think he was some <laughs> utility guy yeah, right. playing on the third or right. fourth line. Right. Other than, uh, not winning the Stanley Cup, I think there was a period of four years in which Peter played in Buffalo and in Boston on three teams that made the Stanley Cup final. Yep, uh, none of them won. Uh, the Flyers and the Canadians were kind of getting in the way of a lot of people at that time, uh, but Peter was a much better player than he ever let ever on. let on. A much, ever much better player yep. than he ever let.
1: Absolutely. On. Well, it's it's for those stories and those remembrances. And that insight that I really wanted you to be able to come on and uh, and talk about our friend Peter McNabb and the legacy that uh, that he leaves, which is amazing. So, hey, always good to see you. Great to you see you. You have a green light to come on back here whenever you'd like. I want to visit with you more throughout the course of the season. Haven't stolen my key yet? They haven't, haven't taken my key. Exactly. Back. You can still He'd walk let in here whenever in. you want. Yeah. So, uh, I. By the way, I got to tell you, the line you used when you came back. To do a uh, Bronco post game uh, show. Did hear you? Talk. And you said I came out of retirement for this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was an all timer. <laughs> I thought that was an all timer. So well delivered as only you can, Sandy. Good to see you. Thanks. Mike. We'll do this again very soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the uh, Mile High Hockey Podcast. Uh, tell your friends about it, and we'll be back again with another edition next week. Take care.